This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Today's episode of Motherfuck Lore is brought to you by the show's generous supporters on Patreon. Supporters who get access to a range of bonus content, our private Discord server so you can chat about episodes with other fans, and discounts on the artwork by Kirsten Shield, which would make a wonderful Christmas gift. Massive Motherfuck Lore congratulations to three recent guests who won the top prizes at this week's Unpussed Irish Book Awards, Journey Griefa for A Ghost in the Throat, Louise O'Neill for After the Silence, and Sinead Burke for Break the Mold. The writing's on the wall. If you want to be an award-winning author, you gotta be a guest on the Motherfucker podcast. So get in touch. And now, the show. Stuff Podcast Network. Welcome to Motherfuck Lore, a podcast of words. Irish. Irish words and words from Ireland. I am Derek O'Shea. I'm Geraldine McAvoy. And I'm Pedro Quivonic. You're all very welcome to this week's episode. Geraldine, how are you getting on? Yeah, I'm getting on well. You know, the days are getting shorter, it's getting darker, but um, I'm spending my time uh, binging TV shows. I'm rewatching Schitt's Creek, and I started watching The Queen's Gambit uh, at the weekend. Oh, which is Queen's class. Gambit is great. Really enjoyed it's so that. So good, yeah, mm-hmm. I love it. Que- Queen's Gambit uh, is good. I was talking to a chess writer the other day, and uh, he was just saying, I was just, I just asked him, like out of curiosity, um, how good is the chess? And he just went, it's really accurate. They've really done their research and it shows. He was so excited that finally mm. there's there's chess portrayed on screen and it's not something that only weirdos and prodigies play, but like here's the here's the ins and outs of it as a sport and here it is as a competition. And when you do that move, you counter with this move and all these little throwaways in there that only chess players would get. He was genuinely excited about seeing that representation on the screen. Which is cool. I love it so much. It's so good. I Because I was the only girl on my chess team in primary school and uh, I have a chess medal. I think it's an under 12, uh, maybe a Leinster medal or it might be a Leash medal. I can't remember for chess. I was very into it and then I sort of stopped playing it. Oh, I don't know why. I'll get into it again, I'd say. I'd just take a few tranks and play chess in the ceiling. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> I to play chess in the ceiling. That's all you need. Just a little bit of horse yeah. tranquilizer and a chessboard. Mall more cats, August have. The Irish for chess is it, it's wood wisdom, isn't it? It's yeah, fair. Uh, 
Fifthall. So, right. Coming from, from Fichal. But the the weird thing about that is like the game of Fihal um was played, it's mentioned in the, the cycles, the mythological cycles. So, you know, it's mentioned in Deirdre of the Sorrows, there was a game of Fihal being played at Awan Macha in, in the, the, the opening mm-hmm. part of that story. So it wasn't actually chess per se. It was a game similar to chess played with with tokens on a board. Um, But when it came time to find an Irish word for the game of chess, just thought it makes perfect sense. Like, here's a word that we have that's absolutely beautiful and we're not using it anymore, so why not recycle it? So Fihil became chess. Uh, so Cliche Fihile is a game of chess and uh, yeah, it's I think it's lovely. Wood wisdom. That is lovely. Mm. Yeah, it's very, it's one of those great words. And yes, and yeah, the Queen's Gambit would be Gambit na Bonrine, right? Yeah, Gambit na Bonrine. Gambit na Bonrine. Uh, do, do we have a word for or Gambit? Fionter. Fionter would be Fionter, of course. Gambit being a risk. Oh, yeah. I don't, Man, I don't that's just Gambit. blown my mind. Gambit's I used to work in Fionter and I never knew that. <laughs> <laughs> well, it also it also means sort of uh, like in the sense that, that DCU use it for Fionter. Yeah. They're... they're school of uh of irish um it, it also means like sort of entrepreneurship mm, innovation or whatever, innovation yeah. Yeah. yeah it's like all of that sort of disruption you know anything buzzy that you want to put to it but like in essence uh, you know fionter is a dulce chance it's a a risk so fionter yeah. in a bon <gasps> remake tg Carr. who we got <laughs> <laughs> No, I think they, they, they definitely do that. But speaking of queens, there's another show on at the moment. Yes, there is. And I started watching it. I'm taking it slow because I'm aware that we're, I was saying to my boyfriend last night, like we're getting to the point because he's interested in binging the Queen's Gambit and other shows of that nature. And I was like, we're not binging them because we're getting to the point where we'll have all the new stuff watched. And we already watched The Sopranos and we already watched The Wire. We've already watched the good shows of the past because there's two. So <laughs> I need to watch an episode a week. Oh, the, the Queen's Gambit, I'm taking it a bit quicker, but I have started watching The Crown and I'm only two episodes in, but I'm very much enjoying it, which I find a little bit hard to uh, to uh, to sort of tie in with my general political standpoint. <laughs> but I feel like I can enjoy, I'm allowed to enjoy it and also um, not support a monarchy and think that they're outdated and frankly weird. But I think the, sh- the show, The Crown, sort of reaffirms that, that their monarchies are weird, man. They're so That's, strange. This is, Great this show, is, but they're weird. This is one of the theories I know that I was saying is is watching The Crown and, and saying you're not to be a royalist. It's a bit like watching 24 and saying you're not actually into those those um, uh, patriarchs going to torture your genes. <laughs> But I mean, is 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 you know, like is the fact that you don't object enough to not watch uh, satisfactory? Yeah. I, but there was a I wonderful. Know, um, oh, I mean, I'm I'm a pacifist, and yet I have no problem at the moment. Whenever I have an hour or two to spare, loaning up my new Assassin's Creed game and rampaging through ninth uh, century England, murdering soldiers and monks. No problem Tans. doing that. There's no cognitive dissonance. No, I'm a Viking. It's Assassin's Creed Valhalla. It's a very historically accurate game. But I'm you're really attacking the English. It. I'm attacking the Anglo-Saxons. I mean, the concept <laughs> of England was only just being born at that stage. Alfred of Wessex had barely got his act together. And yet they were still at it. Oh, <laughs> never not at it. 
<laughs> but I don't think I don't think there's cognitive dissonance in enjoying something like The Crown as a piece of work uh, and still saying, "Jesus Christ, down with monarchy." Yeah, I think so. Yeah. I feel like I just need to say it though because I don't know the people are so into it. Like, and I've seen a lot of takes on it because um, this particular season um, we're into the late 70s now into the 80s and I text my friends before it started because they had uh, myself and two friends in a WhatsApp group they had started it before me and I was like oh is there a recap and they were like yeah there's a recap um, and I was like god I wonder I wonder will we see the IRA and literally as it starts it's like audio from the IRA <laughs> so it goes right into it like it's at a troubling time and it, and it is interesting from that perspective like I know the last seasons like I kind of learned not that I learned a lot like but there was stuff like because we'll get into that but like there's stuff that like I say I wouldn't have known had happened like there was a, a member of the royal staff in the last season I think who was a spy he was like buying artwork or something Mm-hmm. I can't fully remember that story. And then what's her name? Um, Princess Margaret. Sure, she had a great time and I didn't know any of that stuff. So that was very entertaining. I enjoyed that very much. And I did a lot of Googling thereafter to learn about um, who and where Princess Margaret was um, riding. And she had a great <laughs> yeah. time. She had a class time, you know. She really had a good time, which I, I can get down with. But, I, I, yeah, I, like I'm not, I'm not in favor of the monarchy at all. But if a monarchy existed in in this country, I would really like to be that sibling who doesn't have to do anything yeah. except go on the batter. I think we're so, I think we're so lucky that we don't have kind of government resources dedicated to you know looking after like Michael D Higgins's younger brother's third <laughs> daughter. Oh yeah, wouldn't it be debauchery like? Do you know the way that we handled it? We've talked about Charlie Hawley on this podcast before. Mm. Like, can you imagine if that was some sort of monarchy carry on when like they all owned islands and shit, you know? <laughs> I, I tell you. I can't believe it. And like the, 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 the mental acrobatics that people have to go through to justify the monarchy. Like, oh, yeah. they, they bring in millions in tourism. It's like, I think you'll find people would still queue up to see those lovely big houses and palaces if they were fucking empty. Uh, yeah, they all go to Versailles. Yeah, I've yeah, been yeah. to Versailles, guys. <laughs> There's not also, been a monarchy famously there for quite some time. I do think yeah. also the... <laughs> Sorry, just the famous conscious uncoupling of the French from their monarchy. <laughs> just it's very yeah. good to, for tourism, Some, you know? <laughs> somebody screaming up at the guillotine is like, no, 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 arrête, arrête. What if the tourists won't come? <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so when we look at The Crown and some people talk about the idea of history as entertainment and the fact that we actually do, I mean, it's a fact that we actually do learn a lot of our world history from entertainment. The, yeah. um, the it, Cobra Kai was on recently and yeah. Love that show. Scott, Scott Bio. Oh my that, God, it's garbage. It's Scott, so bad. It's, I love that show. Is, is, it, Ralph, is it Ralph Macchio or Scott Bio? It's Bauer, Ralph Macchio. Okay. It's Ralph Macchio. It's not Ralph Scott Ma- Bio. Scott yeah, Bio is not sound. Ralph Macchio is sound. Ralph Macchio was being asked about the Karate Kid's legacy and he said one of the things he's very proud of was that people, um, actually a lot of people who didn't learn it in school learned about the Japanese internment camps from seeing the Karate Kid. And then they start asking questions about this afterwards. And while it, it's, it's, it's referred to in the film, it's, it's part of history that wasn't being taught in school, that a piece of entertainment um, got people asking questions after the fact. And I think a lot of people, my generation, learned what diplomatic immunity was from Lethal Weapon 2. <laughs> I don't understand the reference, think, but think, okay. I, 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 to be honest with you, I think a lot of people learnt about the um, the awful excesses of the apartheid regime from Lethal Weapon 2 as well. 
that's true also. A good example of that actually is uh, the recent series Watchmen, where um, the Tulsa riots from 1920 or 1919, maybe, where um, it started out, um, that scene started out the show, and then it ended up that um, the Oklahoma schools board have put the Tulsa riots back on the curriculum because it was people from Oklahoma that were like, never heard of this mm-hmm. like and it, it really did happen you know it's a real thing that happened and you know it started a conversation that hadn't happened before which is you know this is a fantasy show based on a comic book um but it's it, i suppose a good example of that in action there's there's a thing and, and so and on one level there's a there's a great opportunity to learn from to learn actual history um, from parts of entertainment or for for responsible kind of um, TV programs and books and films to actually bring these to light in and broaden the conversation. But there's also danger of kinds of propaganda. And uh, often people do say that, I mean, there's an issue with people with the when we consider how many films and TV shows have been made about, say, the monarchy or about the presidency in the past 20 years, it, like in the 1980s, you never had a movie with where the main character was the president or the king of England. And now it seems like um, it went from becoming maybe two a year in the late ni- in 90s during the um, the second half of Clinton's term. And then suddenly almost nonstop um, every award season, someone's playing a king, uh, someone's playing a president from a, a recent part in history. You've got a rom-com about Barack Obama and Michelle Obama after in the last year of his term. Like that's um, that's unprecedented. There's what? Um, there's a what? Stop it. There's a they what made, about who? They made a rom-com about Obama uh, meeting Michelle. Jesus, give me strength. Oh, my God. Uh, can we get... Southside with you. Can we get Caroline Cedar back on? Can we just... Can we get... The, <laughs> I'd love to... Sorry, get, I cannot such, believe this. <laughs> such a, is there anything about double tra- tap drone strikes? I'd say there fucking isn't. <laughs> I'm, going to, I'm going to lose my mind. <laughs> and, but then, and then... Anyway, one of the things is that, that there is learning... Learning history, and in Ireland, the, the, the case, you, you, we often think of Michael Collins in this context that we, yeah. you know, there's, it's a, it was, a lot happened during the, the years that film covers. And there's an issue in that, how people's understandings I maybe may have been shaped by certain um, mm-hmm. art, a creative license that Neil Jordan took. And there was a yeah. lot of, there was a lot of creative license took now, yeah. in fairness, like we, we are, we're recording this, um, just immediately after the commemoration of Bloody Sunday, a hundred years on from Bloody Sunday in Croke Park. Mm-hmm. And like the way Neil Jordan had that in Michael Collins was um, the Tans burst into Croke Park with an armoured car and started machine gunning the players and the crowds. Like the way it actually happened was in essence even worse and more snaky and awful that they put snipers up and and started taking pot shots at innocent civilians and at the 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 footballers like mm. that that was far more malignant and malicious than you know driving basically mounting a full-scale armed invasion of Jones's road like it was and and yet that did color a lot of people's opinion of how yeah that day went down because again and it's like we've talked about this I think maybe one of our live shows we mentioned it and how like it's frustrating in a sense that there there is this complex history at play. And yeah, it's a film and I'm not going to blame Neil Jordan too much because he was making a film. And if you're getting all of your history from a film, I don't know, man, maybe like reevaluate that a little bit. Um, but 
you know, you have people who, and I've said this before, I'm sure that if you go on the Glasnevin tour of Glasnevin Cemetery, thoroughly recommend. Collins is buried there and so is De Valera. So is, I think, uh, Michael Collins, or Daniel O'Connell is buried there. That's the big, tall um, kind of round tower you can see. There's a bunch of like famous Irish people buried there. And like the tour guides will tell you that people will spit on De Valera's grave. Because mm-hmm. now I'm not going to attribute this solely to Neil Jordan, but I think a lot of people think De Valera killed Collins. Like, um, again, we've talked. I no, we. I, I'm attributing <laughs> this to everybody. It's me. I've ranted about this a lot. <laughs> like, like you attribute this one thing, and it's just so reductive Which, and yeah. simplistic, and just I, I just think it's so. People are looking for a story. I think that's mm-hmm. what it is. People are looking for a narrative, and as humans, we like that. But it's just there's more depth to it and there's more there's people you're leaving out and there's like context you're leaving out so yeah yeah but all the time. we all know it was Jonathan Rhys Myers exactly it was <laughs> from Cork you know yeah listen is it, is it was it Dev or was it Cork who knows <laughs> it was definitely Cork Cork <laughs> people are Cork people's worst enemies <laughs> listen if you go down to Bailenham Law there's a sign that says ambush site I know I feel like I don't want a victim blame Collins but <laughs> Maybe don't go there. Not see that one coming. Yeah. And the Michael Collins movie has has, has opened the conversation. And one of the things also in the first series of The Crown with Churchill and how how Churchill is talked about. Yeah. Is there's often this emphasis, the idea of how much of history hinges on the decisions of of an individual great man. And this is sometimes called the, the great man theory of history that I think Thomas Carlyle, the historian, said that the history of the world is basically the a series of the autobiographies of the great, great men. And obviously he he was referring to men specifically as as, as men rather than as people. But the idea that great individuals are and great leaderships are. Uh, that, that the actual history of the world is driven entirely by these moments of leadership of these unusually remarkable people. And this is often, uh, Pat, would you say, this is a, a view of history that's generally seen as conservative-leaning? Yeah, and, and rather outdated. I mean, the Carlyle kind of first espoused the theory um, in the 19th century, and it was kind of almost immediately criticised by people like like Herbert Spencer and others um, who were just sort of saying, well, that like it's a, it's a very lazy sort of a way of of describing it. Like the idea that if it weren't for Martin Luther, there would be no Reformation or the idea that if it weren't for Napoleon himself, just that one Corsican individual, that if he had been wiped out as a young artillery officer, there would have been no one to fill those shoes and take France into its its great venture into imperialism. Like yeah. that it just seems a bit ridiculous. And likewise, when you bring it back to Michael Collins, like undoubtedly a very talented um general and and military officer for for the IRA in the War of Independence, um, but it does presuppose a lot to suggest that if it if he had been shot in in the GPO, that nobody else would have done what he did, or nobody else would have stepped up and achieved what he was going to do. I mean, there's certainly there, there, you can give a little bit of credence to it, but just this idea that it's all down to him, or all yeah. down to Dev, or all down to like I mean, for God's sake, we've seen we've seen it time and time again in in, in throughout history. History abhors a vacuum, just as nature abhors a vacuum. And if you leave one there, someone's going to step in and fill it. They might be shite, they might be great, but, you know, it's not necessarily that these star-crossed, fated individuals uh, are destined to 
to fucking you know give us our history and without them we achieve nothing i mean i think it's it's kind of i mean the ideas from 1840 like it, mm. it is old as ass like and it's kind of outdated at this stage i think you would think but but that's really not the case is it like do conservatives still tend to gravitate towards this idea that you know great men and to a lesser extent great women rule the world oh it's so exhausting like it's just so reductive and i just think it's like you say that, like, you know, there's the idea that, oh, you know, these people were ordinary people who strove for greatness. And you see it with even reducing down a movement to one person. You see it in the United States with the civil rights movement that, you know, Martin Luther King had a dream and Rosa Park had tired feet and didn't want to, like they were actively part of a movement. Like it was all an, a concerted effort, but that doesn't fit with the narrative that individual people can do individual things and yes they can but they're not the only ones doing it and I think it's very reductive to say that people are these sort of like you know islands on their own who are acting singularly and without them like you said we would have nothing because most of these people had help and like it's what I'm interested in is who are you leaving out because inevitably it's a minority, it's a marginalised group, it's people of colour, it's trans people, it's women, it's black people, it's whoever. You're leaving out these people who did all the grunt work and arguably risked more because they were the ones with skin in the game and something to lose. And, you know, that's why, like, you know, we see pride parades, for example, but do people know who, does everybody who's, you know, appropriating pride culture know who, um, Marsha Johnson is like. Do people know about Stonewall? Do the do the companies profiteering off of that know what they're doing? No, they don't because they're just like going to connect it to something that they can profit from. And I think to bring it back to the like the great man theory, you have this. It's it's so frustrating to see these people getting written out of their own narratives, and not that these people are necessarily looking for recognition. And maybe that's the problem because there'll always be somebody who is looking for recognition and only too happy to take it. Mm -hmm. And then you leave the people who do grunt work and who do, like I said, do all of the hard work. You leave them out in the cold and forget about them. And then it's just completely shocked when you see somebody of that particular group doing something phenomenal because you've never seen it before because they've been written out of history and then it just repeats itself. This is especially true in the study of literature and uh, I, I think always I write all the people who James Joyce um, who James Joyce wronged in business dealings around the publication of Ulysses who deserved to actually be studied but we, we are so we always talk about kind of, um, we all, in literature in, in Sure, we always talk about how these brave writers kind of uh, took on the system and kind of came up with these good ideas on their own, and then and then they changed the world or changed these ideas. And we see kind of writers and as hero figures who work completely on their own. Whereas there's there's another process, and sometimes learning about the other other writers who I mean, a publisher, a, a risk taking publisher, also defended, and the and why when we getting published in one country is different from another. Those those things are really worth knowing as well. And it's worth knowing why why Joyce went to Paris and why he left, and and putting those things in the context as well. Yeah, this this idea of like the great individuals of of literary history, like if there was no William Shakespeare, um, then the only real tangible outcome for the people of the world is that secondary school students the world over would hate <laughs> Christopher Marlowe instead, yeah. or God forbid, Goethe. <laughs> you have always speaking German. <laughs> Triggers. <Yeah>. No. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, God, if, imagine if there was no James Joyce. Wow. 
I think we'd have survived. Like somebody else would have come along. So different. (laughs) I just, yeah, I think it's it's there is this. I think it comes maybe from we as human beings and our our need to sort of find patterns or find a story. And you see it from like if you look at older like oral tradition stories. It's about one person. We have you know our own stories in Ireland folklore where there's one hero. It's Finn McCool or it's uh, Cúchol and. And we have these like great people, usually men, um, but and we we try to find that narrative because that's a fun way of doing it, right? Somebody who was an ordinary person who became extraordinary through whatever way, through destiny. You mentioned earlier, Pather and Dark, you know, about Michael Collins. And there is a, I don't know if it's true that, you know, Michael Collins is a seventh son of a seventh son, which, you know, destined for great things. I don't know if that's true or not. I don't really care. I don't think he would have been that, Fantastic, had he stuck around. We'll be right back after this short message from a wonderful new podcast in the Headstuff Podcast Network, The Wonderful World of Wikipedia. The World According to Wikipedia is a podcast that pops the hood of Wikipedia and invites you to take a look inside. Each episode, we will talk to someone from the Wikimedia community on topics like why are only 18% of biographies about women? Can editing Wikipedia be a protest or activism? And what is it like for the communities working on the 200 plus Wikipedias that are not in English? Subscribe on your podcast of choice and follow us on Twitter at world underscore Wikipedia. So when we talk, think about the ideas, obviously leadership does matter and, we, and good leaders are generally a lot better than bad leaders. And But the other factors are very important. And I think about history is, yes, maybe taking history away, removing history from other subjects completely creates a problem where you you're, you, you only look at the, these things like these personal decisions. I read with great interest, Guardian, that schools in Finland are, are taking kind of um, phenomenon-based learning as opposed to subject-based learning, where instead of just studying history, you study a particular event and then the scientific, linguistic, historical and economic factors around that. So you... Instead of maybe saying oh, global warming, that's for science class. You say, well, global warming yeah. affects it is is actually in all on all the subjects. Yeah, and that's something. And I think that's you a, take the subject nature of learning out of it, like you you because it's. I mean, look, maybe kids don't have the facilities to think about. I don't know. Maybe they do, but at least you know you learned about history as a thing that happened before, not a thing that it's happening now or like it's affecting what's happening now. Um, but they do, they very much, They, do, I mean, they don't have curriculums here, curricula, curricula, um, here they don't, uh, they don't have, you know, you have to do certain exams, but like how you do that is up to your teacher. And then depending on the age of students, like, and the projects they want to do is up to them. So it's very much that. And, you know, if you're, if you're doing a science class or whatever, we'll go outside and we'll, you know, learn about, we'll actually physically look at the trees and learn about, you know, global warming and then also ecology at the same time. So yeah, it's very much that attitude and a more, I don't know if that leads to a better society. I don't, I don't know. I mean, things are, as I've mentioned before, like, you know, there is good leadership here and there, but there is the, there, there still exists the great man, you know, Mannerheim is, is their big, hero here there's a i mean every town in finland has a manorheim which is like manorheim street every it's like every town having an o'connell street like (laughs) um and like there's massive statues if you've ever been to helsinki the big guy on the horse outside the library that's manorheim um they're very into the guy so you know they still have those stories and those you know great people so i mean I don't know, maybe that's more connected to the history of the nation and wanting to create that narrative. Um, 
but then you know you you leave out the people who I think when you create very much it's almost like a comic book in a sense that you create this hero and then you create the villain and whether that villain is De Valera and the hero is um Collins or the hero is Collins and the 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 villain is Lloyd George or whatever you still create this like very and you see it in the United States all the time they're talking about a good guy with a gun or a bad guy with a gun mm. like it's a comic book you know which I think is so strange but I think again it, it connects to our our desire as humans to have a story and to have a narrative and to have something that we can make sense of and latch on to and tell and repeat maybe it's connected to our our sort of predisposition to oral tradition that we can have this story this linear story and understand it and make sense of it and know the names of the people involved um, to the detriment, of course, of, of context and f- fact, I suppose. Yeah, but the, the natural mm-hmm. conclusion of, of that is that the person who appeared in Home Alone 2, Lost in New York and Zoolander becomes the most powerful individual in the world. <laughs> and, you know to date refuses to get the fuck out of the White House when he's lost the election. So they're doing a really good job of playing the comic book villain though like a really good job you know he's got the look he's got the madness coming out of him all the time so I think yeah I think he's doing a good job of it. Was he a Zoolander? I don't remember him in Zoolander. He was. I only watched Zoolander the other day he's in it talking about Derek Zoolander and how hot he is right now. <laughs> There's He's, um, he's playing dog. himself like what? apparently um, um Trump, like when, whenever a, f- a film is being shot in one of his hotels, he insists yeah. on a small role, and normally they just don't use it. But in Home Alone and Zoolander, they just did. Gas. So what? What a time! Huh? What a time we live in. But so I mean, yes. So the way obviously we, we think about history and and these things is obviously links to the way we think about the current affairs, and and obviously certain certain politicians like to ride in a particular narrative around this mm. uh, a restoration of lost greatness or such things. Ireland possibly from having such a bad 20th century we've, we've been spared of having politicians <laughs> trying to evoke uh, a yeah, glorious past thank god <laughs> there's no make Ireland great again like yeah, not, that's not a that's not a campaign slogan and yes it, it, it does mean that our conservatives tend to be kind of forward looking in a, in, a, in, a, in a nice way and possibly it's you know that's but even our even our extreme right wing like there is a nascent and scary extreme right wing in Ireland even mm. they're looking outside of this country for inspiration like they're bringing in British unionists and loyalists to be their guest speakers and they're looking at the likes of Germany and Sweden and and the United Kingdom as their examples of great white Christian nations like they're not they're not trying to restore Ireland of the 1950s and 60s because while it was conservative while it was Catholic while it was male dominated and traditionalist it was a shithole and yeah. you just don't appeal to voters by saying let's make Ireland a shithole again yeah, yeah pe- people weren't driving you know, like driving corvettes or 57 chevys down to, to the jukebox and you know and no. um off, no. off of their job their their a union job in a factory yeah that, none of that was happening i don't know man i i, I mean yeah the chevy looks nice i, I get my because we had at the weekend we watched that uh michael moore documentary um fahrenheit 11 9 the latest one um about that particular issue and then right after we started the queen's gambit and my boyfriend was like 
when there was somebody driving a Chevy when she, spoiler, she gets adopted anyway, and she got adopted and she went to this lovely house and he was like, yeah, that's the American dream is. I was like, that child is addicted to tranquilizers. Like what American dream are you talking about? I don't know about that. I'm not sure. I guess people who say things like we want to rebuild the past. I mean, it's it's never the likes of me saying that, you know, it's never women. Do you know what would be great? A few laundries again. Wouldn't that be great? We just brought, well, you know, maybe they did say that around 2018 actually. I saw a tweet uh, a while ago. It's like the the only people who ever fantasize about time travel are white men. Yeah, isn't it? I'd love to go back to 1960s America. Um, not if you're black. Like, I mean, it's not great now, but I feel like it might be worse then. This is this is one of the things in in seventies kind of funk music. An awful lot of it was set in space because the idea was the future can only be better. So you had a lot of, like um, Marvin Gaye doing that song about kind of doing it on a space bed, and Rick James kind of dressing up in, in kind of these these kind of tinfoil suits. And yeah, you know, a lot of funk bands they had this kind of um, futurism because they thought that you know, well the fut- well the past sucks, so the future must be cool. Little little did they know. <laughs> Little did they know that Ziggy Stardust himself would check out just in time to avoid the shit show of the last couple of years. Let's talk about alternative histories or speculative histories and the value thereof. I think we all would be agreed that the idea of wishful thinking about about Muggons or something like that, um, living or dev dying, isn't helpful. But what is helpful is actually asking how much of an event does actually is attributable to a particular individual happening or a particular event. If you said that, whatever, if 1916 happened two years earlier or two years later, how much would that have changed things? We often, there's a lot of speculative fiction about, about um, the Allies losing World War II. And there's a bit of speculative fiction about the, the North losing the Civil War. And, but is, where, where, where is this, is this useful? Is this, is, is this productive? No, I think actually, <laughs> I think it's garbage. Okay. Like I don't think like, mm. you can't predict that. And I think it's very often that's twinned with, isn't it so great that the Allies did win the world war because yes, one war criminal got to try another war criminal and claim that they were the ones who were, they got victor's justice when it w- the opposite would have happened. Maybe we still would have had human rights at the other's one because oh, I don't know, one genocide doesn't excuse another. Um, and I just, I, I mean, I don't know if it's helpful at all. And I think it's very often twinged with, isn't it so great how it turned out? Mm, is it though? I think there's a space for good speculative fiction though. Like I, I really, really enjoyed the book, the man in the high castle. Mm-hmm. I'm not not absolutely digging the um, TV series, yeah. but um, the the book I really really enjoyed it. Um, I like a lot of what Philip K. Dick has written, though. I think he's a very clever writer of literary science fiction. My only issue with it is the whole premise is that um, the attempted assassination of Franklin Delano Roosevelt worked, and he was assassinated. And, you know, up until up until very recently, I would have given that no credence, like this idea that that one person could change the course of history so much. And without Franklin D. Roosevelt, there's no New Deal. America never gets out of the Depression, so they never enter World War Two. So they're easy meat for um, the Axis powers once Europe has been conquered and they get invaded and the Japanese take half and the Nazis take the other half. 
And I just sort of thought, like, there's no way one person could have that amount of power. And then you realise that the the American system is kind of set up around this great man theory of leadership and that a lot of the the things that keep order on it, the checks and balances, are entirely voluntary, as we've seen over the last four years. That, like, you know, oh, nobody's supposed to engage in emoluments or enrich themselves as president. Yeah, but there's really no punishment for doing it. So nobody's mm. just pushed the boundaries until now. So really, there is a lot invested in that one person and in that one office. So maybe it could be done. I've read some really good speculative fiction. I've read some really awful speculative fiction. But I've never read a piece of speculative fiction about what would happen if Collins had survived. Um, and I think that would have been... That would have been very interesting. And if anybody wants to read that, to write that, I, I will read it. Because we've often said on this podcast, the only thing Dev did wrong was survive. Like, yeah. And I think if, if Collins had lived Well, through, there was all the stuff with the women as well. I mean, let's not absolve yeah. that, you know? No, no, no. But I mean, the point being that, like, if, if Collins had lived, he'd have done the exact same. Yeah. Around, yeah. around women and their place in the home. Exactly. Around a exactly. traditionalist view of society. It's like, no, everything Dev yeah. did more or less was wrong. But the only thing he really did wrong, wrong was not dying. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And not think, being a right, yeah, unfortunately. Are. Collins has a lot going for him because he was a big right. I fully believe that. It's because he died righty. Yeah, exactly. Sorry. He have didn't you, get old and rotten like the Prince of you, whatever. What's his name? The Prince of Wales? The Prince of Wales, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Or the Prince <laughs> Philip. Which one? I don't know. Um, but have you not seen the picture of Dev being let out of Boland's Mills in handcuffs by the British soldiers? Yeah, He's but... A, He's a snack. He is, yeah, but like, let's come, come on now. If you had a choice between the two, you're going for the big burly cork man. I, I, every day of the week. Yeah, exactly. Sundays. You're asking him not to talk during it because you don't want to hear what he's saying, but like, you know. The, gosh, yeah, you, you, you've read the love letter Dev wrote to his, um, to, to. Uh, Unfortunately, yeah, you sent it several times in the WhatsApp group, that. Derek. Thanks. But, um, but this is the thing. So, I, mean, I think. The idea that, say, if Collins was out-negotiated by Lloyd George and out-negotiated by Dev, he probably would have been out-negotiated by Cardinal McQuaid. I think so. I think we can all yeah. kind of uh, allow for that. And then then this is the thing is we, a lot of us maybe who do poo-poo the, the great man theory and when it's presented positively, or we accept it when it's pres- presented negatively, when the, I, the negative yeah. impact of an absolute bastard like I don't. McQuaid. I don't buy it like... But, but I mean, I just don't buy it. Like, if it hadn't been John Charles McQuaid, I don't buy that, that like, Ireland would be paradise. And I don't, and to be honest with you, I don't buy, if Adolf Hitler had died in a gas attack in World War One yeah. and mm-hmm. uh, had never made it to the, to the beer hall putsch or anything like that, like, I just, I don't buy it that nobody else would have stepped up and taken on the leadership of a right-wing reactionary yeah. response to the Weimar Republic. That Her- def- Herman Goering would have been right up in there. Yeah, Herman yeah. Goring might have been there. It might have been Dunitz. It might have been Goebbels. Could have been any been one Goebbels. of them. It yeah. could have been Ernst Röhm. Like it, there were just so many people. It could have been what's his Anyone name? Anyone can be a bigot if you just try. Hess. <laughs> Hess. Uh, my money's on Hess. <laughs> could have been that idiot. Like, um, or even Martin Bormann. Like it's just yeah. there. The, the, there's. I have no doubt in my mind. Like if Napoleon had been wiped out early on, then it could have been. It could have been uh, Marshal Ney or it could have been one of the other generals would have become emperor eventually. If Wellington 
if Wellington hadn't been victorious in his early military campaign in India, somebody else would have taken the biggest army in the world to Spain and won every battle against Napoleon. Like, I just, I don't buy it that everything hinges on this one individual. Like, this idea, would you go back and kill Hitler hmm. if you had the chance? I mean, possibly. Mm-hmm. Possibly. Because I know what he did. But do I think it would change anything? Probably not. No, of course not. And they were all very quick to be like, oh, no, it was just that guy because he's dead. Like, it's very yeah. fucking easy to be like when you're on trial in Nuremberg to be like, JK, I was just following orders, you know. Um, uh, what's his name? Heidegger, who's a, a famous philosopher and uh, a big oh, old Heidegger. Nazi. Yeah, yeah. B- big old Nazi. He, he founded hermeneutic phenomenology. And like, he was a big, dirty Nazi. And then when it all fell to shit, he was like, kidding I wasn't really and then he did an interview with Le Monde to be published after his death where he was like a double fake I was actually kidding that time I still remained a Nazi you know <laughs> like I don't there was plenty of them do you know it was a well thought it was just they had a good speaker but there was plenty of good speakers I just I don't yeah, but, but I, I don't, think that in a sense goes back to what I was saying earlier that like you're minimizing the role of other people. You're minimizing the role of all of the other Nazis, all of the other fash. Give them credit for being fash as well. Because if we just put it in the hands of one person, not only do you take credit where it's due away from people, but you take a bad idea, you encapsulate it into one person when realistically, when you're thinking about right wing, the, the furtherance of right wing, it's not just one person, it's a lot of people. And you need to be wary of that. If one person goes, if the leader goes, that's not the end of it. Yeah, and like that works both ways as well. First yeah. things first, on, on, on the fascism side of things, if you do that, if you give credit to all of the fash and say that they were all fash, then you have to you have to act accordingly. And that doesn't mm. suit doesn't suit the narrative even of the victors. Like it doesn't suit the Americans trying to beat the Soviets in the space race and the arms race, that they can't have the Nazi scientists because they were Nazis. If we if we can just brush it under the carpet and say it's only these guys, these guys at Nuremberg, everyone else is sound, we can smuggle them into the States and and I, I don't know, apparently win the space race, even though they were the second second country to get a satellite up, second country to get somebody around the, the world. But apparently they made it to the moon, which they decided was important. So they won. Um, apparently they, they made it to the moon, as I like said. Uh, yeah, no, they made it to the moon, yes. which apparently they decided was important. Yes. I am not saying it all happened in a sound stage in Utica, upstate New York. <laughs> I'm not saying that. If there is a moon. Is that where it's supposed to happen? No, I have no idea. Oh, <laughs> Just okay. Uh, the um, the other thing is on the other side, on the flip side as well. You don't neutralize a good idea by uh, accrediting it to one person and taking yeah. out that one person. Even in recent years, like the idea that the centrist uh, Labour Party in the UK or centrist Democrats in in the US that like this idea that they've shot down socialism by mm. neutering Jeremy Corbyn or Bernie Sanders. It's like, it's not about that individual. They're just the spokesperson. They're the yeah. mouthpiece for an entire generation of people who want to see progressive change. And you don't make it go away by getting rid of Jeremy Corbyn or by getting yeah. rid of Bernie Sanders. You you make it go away by either adopting the policies that work for you and putting them into your platform or by, you know, just saying fuck it and going full fash. Yeah, exactly. You know, and I think it's it's the same too for a positive thing. I mean, a good example, I mean, I saw it happen in real time in May 2018 when I, I, I've, obviously people are aware I was involved in the repeal referendum and, and I saw, it was international media mostly, but some of our own media were, it was attributing this win like the day after 
two ministers. And like, yeah. I, it wasn't that I was personally looking for, you know, a full feature on the front of the Irish Times. That wasn't the case. But like, this was a very much a grassroots movement. And to see like, you know, Le Monde or, or wherever, you know, German media or American media say like, oh, Irish Minister for Health says that, you know, reproductive health care is going to be free, safe, legal. And, you know, they're going to make it free. And I was like, yeah, because that was the campaign slogan for the grassroots movement that's been going for the last like what five years and it just to see it happen in real time was just so dejecting and like really you're just gonna already write us off like write a whole movement of mostly women and you're just gonna like write over them and, and attribute it to a man like who in it in in their defense you know did get on board but got on board late enough that it was already politically popular you know and it's just so dejecting to see that happen and yeah people want to make it about one person and it's easy to make it about a minister because you can interview that person you know or you've got a sound bite from when they were on the tv but man it's it's soul crushing a little bit to see that happen um, yeah, in real so time. Much, yeah, so much of it is wrapped up in how the media wants to frame a narrative mm. that is convenient for them. And in particular in recent years, convenient for them because they're so underfunded that they yeah. actually they can't afford to pay journalists to go out and do actual journalism a lot of the time and everything needs to be framed in the context of the press release or the press conference. So I remember reading an opinion piece during the repeal campaign that was in repeal is going to lose because they don't have leaders. Yeah. They don't have yeah. spokespersons. I remember that particular uh, opinion piece also. Yeah. I was like, <laughs> yeah. Really? Like you think that you think that the other side could win because they've got people willing to put their names to press releases that that's that's what it takes as opposed to thousands and thousands and thousands of people out there engaging with people on a daily basis and asking them to take this leap and and to do it together like that's that's what worked yeah (laughs) exactly (laughs) the idea of mass movements the mass movements work and yet they will always invariably end up being attributed to someone yeah so if we think now, and, and I suppose to kind of reverse engineers, we think about, say, the like the, the civil rights issues of people living in the Geltucht, the things they don't get access to, and how much of it hinges on the fact that they, they speak Irish, or they, they, or they insist on this, and now that they maybe are treated like a bother by certain departments. Is this something that maybe a, a, a leader could turn around, or is it something that it does, is it would have to be a grassroots thing first? Is it a case, like, is there a chicken and egg situation here? I, I, I don't, don't think, think so. so. No. no. <laughs> I think that if we if we if we ever see some movement on this and that Irish speakers are going to be given the rights that they deserve in areas where Irish is the language of the community, then I think the minister of the day will end up being written down in the history books as the great person who did it. And it's unfortunate, but like we've seen that before. We've seen that before with free secondary education. Like fair play to Donna O'Malley for bringing it in absolutely brilliant but like the idea that he woke up one morning and had a, a massive brainstorm and said you know what fucking free education how about that and walked into the department and just said let's do it like there was definitely political resistance and all that but the idea that this was not based on you know a grassroots movement of any form shape or description is it's just weird and yet it's it's entirely how it's told yeah. And I think I don't think you necessarily need a leader because then that that's that poses. I mean, I'm, I'm a feminist. I, I believe in, you know, non-hierarchical distribution of power. You know, I, I don't think it's necessary to have a leader. And many of the organizations that I work with and have worked well don't have a leader. And 
work fine. But then you, you, I think you also remove the, the target also, if they don't know who to target and say that this person is such and such and people will always have a problem. And so they'll find that problem. You know, you see that with, you know, any kind of great leader, you see people pointing problems at them and, and saying, you saw it with like, say Jeremy Corbyn, you know, they yeah. asked him like, you know, Bernie Sanders, same thing, like, you know, because they'll try and find fault and the same thing, they'll say, well, if we get rid of that leader, the problem's gone away. And I don't think, I mean, I think I read a really good quote the other day and I was, I'm going to butcher it now, but it's like, um, I don't know who it's from, but it was like, uh, you're not going to dismantle the master's house with the master's tools. So I think the attempt to, uh, rights aren't going to be given to anybody. Like rights are not ever given to anybody. They need to be taken or they need to be forced. And that's the unfortunate reality that very often it's told as they were given benevolently, but that's never the case. You know, it's it's years, decades, generations of people fighting for something. And then finally, either becoming so much of a thorn in the side that they can't be ignored anymore or whatever other way through votes, through forcing a vote, you you take what you are entitled to because it's again, it's a right, but that gets told as it was given to you. You know, aren't we great? We gave it to you. You're welcome. Thanks. Hmm. The idea, yes, that of, of that people will like take credit. I, I think even I remember seeing like Nixon getting credit for the minimum wage, which kind of was introduced by I think the, by the, the was was found to be not legal by a Supreme Court after um while he just happened to be president. But the idea that he can take credit for it is is just a strange thing. I mean, is it a case that some people just I mean? That when people are in power, that, that one of the privileges of power is to take is to take credit for the for just people. in the right place, at the right time, kind yeah, of like pretty much. Yeah. Right back to the great man theory, because you know, if you're just there in the right place at the right time, you get a chance to write your name in the history books, and if you're not, well, tough shit, Sherlock. That's your loss. I'd hate to be ahead of my time. That'd be awful. Imagine that. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, he was ahead of his time. That's no good to me. I need him to be exactly of his time or else he's pointless, <laughs> yeah. useless. But to go back to to go back to the crown, mm-hmm. um, which for some reason we started talking about. I don't know why is is monarchist bastards <laughs> the various. Um the crown, I have not watched a lot of it. I watched one or two episodes and I have to say enjoyed one or two episodes. Um I, I do like historical dramas, even when they're about utter bastardry. Um, but um, it must be doing something right because everybody, everybody hates it and everybody loves it. Like the, the, the British right wing tabloids think it's glorifying the IRA. The Irish uh, left wing uh, <laughs> individuals and groups think it's glorifying the monarchy. So it must be doing something right. <laughs> yeah, it's pissing everybody so, off, but also so, everyone's watching it. <laughs> It is great. Like the style is great. And like, yeah, I kind of hate them, but I want to know what happens. You know, it's like, I don't, I just can't, it's like a car crash. Garaging. It's medium rare Emily in Paris. I haven't seen Emily in Paris still. I haven't done that to myself. I need to have, I need to have really, really bad cramps and they haven't happened yet. You know, I have to have that really, really bad time in a month. And thankfully it hasn't happened yet. (laughs) I feel, I feel like I should correct your pronunciation there because it is supposed to be pronounced as if it rhymes the two words. So it's actually pronounced Emma Laris in Paris. (laughs) (laughs) I love that Netflix 
the, the purveyors of AP, Kildar and Samhain are like, actually, well, actually, it's pronounced <laughs> shut your hole. Shut up. <laughs> Make your dumbass show and sit down, okay? Don't tell me how to say it. Don't tell me how to enjoy your garbage television. There's a pandemic. God damn it, I don't need this. Don't annoy me while you're, while you're waste, making me waste my life watching you. <laughs> to hear from you i'd ask i don't if you have an idea for a show that netflix should make based on irish history the irish language or irish mythology tell us about it give us a voice note on our whatsapp number it's in the show notes i don't i don't i don't think people should be consigned to history or mythology what about modern ireland if you want to do a yeah. netflix show about like yesterday's what's history exactly yeah. right now let's do a netflix show about that attempt to have a tiktok house during oh, the for pandemic sake. remember that <laughs> oh god <laughs> Did that feel, like, did that really happen like a, or did I dream it feels that? Like a, it feels like a million years ago. The goat house. God, I, I, it feels like a million years ago, but that was like, what, six days ago? I had I to ask so. the younger members of our team what that meant. I did not understand it. Greatest of all time yeah. is goat. You yeah, know, but I the whole concept, I, ju- I just didn't get why they yeah. were all living together. I what don't. Is, what is a TikTok? What are what they is, doing? Why are they living together? I don't get it. <laughs> Are they like? Are they still in that house? Like, have they not had a food shipment in weeks? Or so? I don't know. I really goat house. If know. you're out there, let us know you're safe. No, don't, I, yeah. I don't want to know. I guess there's a big pile of laundry has just arrived there, and they realise they've been tricked. <laughs> <laughs> and on that awful bad taste note, it's a slon for me. It's a slon for me. Like a slon, Wemshire. very much for listening uh, Mother Folklore comes out every Friday you can get it on Spotify uh, or wherever you get your podcasts thanks very much to Kirsten Sheila for doing the artwork and Brian for being our producer if you would like to contribute to Mother Folklore and get access to some of our special content you can visit and contribute to our Patreon if you go to Patreon forward slash Derek you'll find all of our little subscription options there we'd really appreciate it thank you so much and catch you on the next one Sloan This has been a production of the Headstuff Podcast Network So we're just gonna we're just gonna jam Do you concur? Yes, Dad. I'm not in that WhatsApp group. Should I be in that WhatsApp group?